This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. The country we now call Australia was built on the stolen lands of hundreds of unique Indigenous nations, and we recognise that as white women, we continue to partake in and benefit from the act of colonisation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Books Up. Welcome. 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 Welcome to Books Up. Was that your sexy voice? Welcome to Bookslut, a podcast bringing erotica out of the gutter and into a snobbier gutter. Hi, my name is Abby. And I'm Sam. It should go without saying that this podcast is not safe for work, so put your headphones in. (laughs) Hello. Every time it starts with silence and a laugh. (laughs) Well... All right, so I am exhausted. Sam is sick. Woo, buddy. (laughs) We have two bottles of wine and some Jats chocolate. (laughs) Strap yourselves in. It's going to be a wild ride. Wild Thursday night. (laughs) So um, today it was, well, this week, I guess, was my turn to read a book. And I've had quite a bit on my plate. So we've gone with some short stories, which means that I guess... The cover won't exactly explain the story at all, um, <laughs> because there are multiple. <laughs> but I think we still need to discuss the cover because there are some some parallels that I want to draw um, with what we're doing today and the romance genre in, in general. Parallels. Love it. Yeah. Well, about the parallels. <laughs> so... so this week, we have the book, I Shudder at Your Touch, 22 um, Tales of Sex and Horror. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, I'm intrigued by the, some of the authors that are listed on the front, uh, Stephen King and Clive Barker, Ruth Rendell. I haven't heard of Ruth Rendell, but I've heard of Stephen King and Clive Barker, <laughs> so that's exciting. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess one of the things that really struck me with this is that I think, and and in some of the stuff that I was reading, it, it comes out quite a bit as well that that there are these parallels with horror and and romance. Yeah, um, they're both kind of seen as trash genres. Yeah, and um, horror often have trash covers, mm. like just really bad covers, and yeah, similarly to to romance, yeah. right? And and a lot of what I was reading was basically, you know, this this idea of the of erotic horror is strange because and is often seen as misogynistic because horror is seen as the domain of men. Yeah. And it's male writers mm-hmm. and you know, they they run these certain ways. Now, I'm kind of sad to say that out of the I don't even know how many stories are in here, but the 22. Two... Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> On the cover. <laughs> Literally on the cover. <laughs> um, paid a lot of attention. <laughs> I picked two. I didn't really look at who had written them. Well, no, one of them I did. But they're both by men. And I just... I didn't find the ones written by women that sexy. Yeah, right. Um, which made me think that either they just weren't really focused on... on the sexy like maybe I I kind of 
filtered things because of what the podcast is that I was looking for something with a bit of smut in it. Yeah, of course. And um, I, I mean, read... that's, that's what we're here for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I read stuff about, you know, one of the things that really stuck out to me as I was reading stuff about erotic horror... And I found a lot of stuff from from writers and, yeah. and female writers. Same, actually. Doing blogs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and one of the things that one of them said was that, you know, the best erotic horror is stuff that actually maybe doesn't even talk that much about sex. It's just there. It's an integral part of the, yeah. of the plot, but maybe they don't go into these, like, real specific details of it. And that at the end, this one says, you know, you realise at the end, you you sit back, you take a breath, and you realise that you're kind of turned on. And you're not sure why. And probably a little bit grossed out by the fact (laughs) that you are turned on. And that's definitely how I felt with Clive Barker's. And so, as as a confession, I'm very biased towards (laughs) Clive Barker. I literally had quotes from him on my bedroom walls. As a teenager. Because <laughs> you read, is it Aberat? So I read his fantasy work first. And, and Clive Barker is actually the person who got me into horror. Um, so I went through a big horror phase when I was probably about 15, 16. Um, and I read a lot of his stuff. And he is very sexual in a lot of his books. And he is actually probably also the first person to explicitly introduce me to um, homosexual sex mm. in in a graphic way, yeah. you know? And he writes a lot of homosexual sex into, into his books, yeah. as well as a lot of people getting turned inside out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know. I mean, I guess there is something to be said, which I'm sure this will come up a fair bit today, is that sort of pairing of um, toying with what is and isn't accepted, um, kind of playing around like the boundaries, which I think horror does quite well, and so does erotica in terms of what we deem to be the norm or like okay by society's standards and whatnot. And so they kind of they kind of relate to each other in this really nice, interesting way. Um, maybe not nice. Nice <laughs> is the wrong word. <laughs> Um, in a way, oh, they they interact. Yeah, I was reading, and I think it might have been one in that blog from a writer, and she was talking about how good horror has to have sort of an element of eroticism in it, just to sort of lure you in as a reader in and of itself to kind of keep you enthralled enough, yeah, to keep that suspense to then scare the shit out of you. Yeah. Also, side note: before we go much further, um, did you come across? Herotica as the t- as like a, a term, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But horror I like plus it. erotica. Although erotica kind of sounds like you're just being a bit of a wanker and saying erotica, like you know, like erotica. Oh, which which one of cool which erotica? Yeah. Um. No, I I didn't. I I think it's a weird. It's a. It's a weird subgenre, you know. Yeah. Like if you if you really think about it, because because if you think about stuff like what we've come across a lot in our generation and and recently is the whole Twilight vampire mm. erotica stuff is making a bit of a comeback. But I wouldn't call it horror. No, that kind of stuff is just it's not. That's kind of its its own subgenre in a in a way. But it's not. It doesn't feel particular I mean I'm full disclosure not a horror person myself Mm. I find it really really hard to consume 
scary content. <laughs> Books, I'm a little bit better, but films, I'm a huge wimp. And so yeah. I, I felt a little bit out of my depth for this one. Reading about it from sort of like a sort of disconnected point of view, um, because I don't really consume this kind of content. And I think that that's I think that's interesting because when I was reading it, a lot of what I thought was that it's it's quite similar to me to science fiction, which I know that you yeah. you read, in that they kind of posit these these ideas of, of what reality could be. Mm, mm-hmm. Um and it's often it's not quite as far gone as as a lot of fantasy where it's just, you know, an alternate reality or whatever. It's it's grounded in reality because that's a lot of what scares people. Totally. But it, it posits these different ideas of what could be. And I think maybe Maybe that's why I'm um, uncomfortable with it because it's a it's a reality that I'm terrified of a lot of the Yeah. Time. And and one of the other things that I was reading which was super interesting, which is about I kind of I got pretty deep into like gender ideas <laughs> in <laughs> of horror. Of course. In this, but it's um that women and men would consume horror differently because they're afraid of different things yeah well, i get makes sense yeah right it doesn't like when you just think about it and and this idea of horror being misogynistic it can come about because of male writers yeah. writing about male fears which are kind of like disempowerment mm. and where do you find disempowerment you find disempowerment in this like kind of gray area of sexuality where you have a woman who is hypersexual and this is the idea of the succubus you know and yeah. tempts men and seduces men and then takes their life force and you know this whole we're more scary than an empowered sexual woman exactly right <laughs> and whereas like whereas women it's more like again disempowerment but in the way of men taking their power or you know being locked up or being taken and and assaulted and these things and this is what women writers play on and so while I think there are human things that that people are scared of I'd never really thought about the fact that obviously men would be writing about things that they find scary and so women write about the things that they find scary yeah this idea of being both scared and turned on is so interesting to me because like and and so I guess we'll talk about the the story, the main story that that I want to talk about is Clive Barker's, and it was called Jacqueline S. Her Will and Testament. Not and a particularly scary title. <laughs> no, not sexy title. None of them had particularly <laughs> scary or sexy titles. For instance, the one before that was The Conqueror Worm. Oh, I mean that's a little <laughs> bit more scary. Or sexy. <laughs> <laughs> And I will say, like, just while we're on the topic of Clive Barker, I did hold off on saying this to you before this podcast because, speaking of horror, I know this is, like, a thing for you, but um, I've been waiting for, like, 20 years for the next Aberat, and this kind of got me back into Clive Barker and got me back into kind of searching his homepage and being like, where is your information? <laughs> um, like a crazy fangirl. And came up with this stuff, how he had been sick, And there had been all these rumours about how he was, you know, dying and was not going to be able to write anymore and, you know, was just kind of off it. And he's recently come back January this year and been like, no, I'm alive and it's fine. He fell into a coma. This This is literally a horror story in and of itself. 
He fell into a coma after going to the dentist what? to have a root canal. Nope. Because of toxic shock. <laughs> what? That? What? I, uh, like, where do we go from there? <laughs> I am it's terrified like, toxic shock syndrome. I'm like full blown terrified. I, I may never use a tampon again in my life. <laughs> Um, how did he get to questions? How did he get toxic shock syndrome? And what do you mean he just fell into Yeah, he just fell into a coma. Apparently have all this bacteria, and particularly when you like have these problems with your in your root canal and whatever, you have this bacteria and a very small percentage of people when they do the root canal, it releases the bacteria and then yeah, he fell into a coma and he was proper sick for like he's still recovering and this Jesus was a Christ. year or so I'm like, also quite afraid ago. of the dentist I, this is a, no. a mingling of things that I don't like <laughs> I know I was reading it and I was like oh my god this is Sam's like proper nightmare <laughs> I hope he writes something really scary about it <laughs> you would have to right like Surely. you would just have to be but and the other thing that, that interests me talking about sexuality and horror is that like Clive Clive Barker also has, he's prolific, and he really embraces this idea of turning his books into movies, and they're all fucking terrible. Like, they're all, they're all just shocking. Like, Do they have a bit of a cult following, though? Yeah, yeah, IMDB that shit, and it's like, or like Rotten Tomatoes, and it's like 10%. You know, like, it is, oh. everyone is like, these are objectively terrible. I mean, when I was reading about, I was reading a bit about Clive Barker, because I didn't know much about him and he like reading some of his interviews and whatnot he's quite a charming person in the sense that like he doesn't give a fuck like yeah, he and just he said, owns it so one of the quotes i had on my bedroom wall <laughs> which i refound and was like i'm gonna talk about this because <laughs> i love this quote is like any fool can be happy it takes a man with real heart to make beauty out of the stuff that makes us weep oh that's... and like that's the kind of stuff and when i was reading his his short story i was like yeah like I, it's, <laughs> I felt so kind of... Like, at the end, I was kind of turned on, and I yeah. was like, this is weird. I have, I have a theory about that, but maybe tell me okay. about the story, and then we'll get into the... So, Jacqueline S. is a woman who's just kind of like a normal woman. The story begins, and she is in a rough patch and uh, attempts suicide, and her husband finds her, and she gets put with this counsellor. And while she's with this counsellor, he's just being, like, a patronising dick, right? Mm. He's just kind of like, I totally know how you feel. Being a woman is really hard. Wait, he says he, that? He says that. <laughs> and there's all these Excuse things of, like, I know he was saying now what you've been through, and it's been traumatic. Women have certain needs. If they go unanswered, and then he, her response is like, what would he know about women's needs? You're not a woman, she thought. Yeah, Clive. <laughs> and, you know, his condescension was so profound it had no bottom. All-knowing, all-seeing father. That was his performance. Basically, this whole thing, she's just sitting there seething, being like, oh, my God, dude, shut the fuck up. And I been mean, there. we've been there, right? <laughs> the distinction is that she basically says, well, she thinks, well, you should be a woman. Like, if this is... You know, if you're going to keep on telling me this shit, you should be a woman. And um, he kind of turns into a woman. Oh, but, that's not where I expected the story to go. <laughs> but horrifically. Oh. In that um, she wheeled his manly chest into making breasts of itself and it began to swell most fetchingly and until 
The skin burst and his sternum flew apart. Oh, wait, <laughs> she did that to him? Yeah, she thinks it. Like, she oh, thinks it right. and he starts. And then um, instead of a vagina, it seems like he literally just gets a gaping axe wound. Oh, um, <laughs> sexy. <laughs> which uh, then his bowels fall out. Oh, no. <laughs> he's, he's quite gory. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned that. <laughs> So that happens, and then and then she's all like, oh, that was weird. But then she starts to think about it, and she's like, it says here, you know, like, she forgets the nausea, remembers the power, forgets the sordidity, remembers the strength, um, forgets the guilt, and wants to do it again. And then her husband is all like, hey, you know how you've been, like, moody and shit and tried to kill yourself? Um, I'm not really here for that, so... I'm fucking someone else and... What a jerk! <laughs> they're, like, super happy all the time and so I'm I'm, I'm kind of outies. Oh, he can't handle her when she's got anything other than happiness going on. Yeah, and so she just thinks, shut up, and then his jaws snap together and he cuts off his own tongue. Um, so, so to be clear, this is all playing out in her own mind or is she... She's thinking it and, and it's, it's ha- happening. Oh, Boss bitch, love it. (laughs) So, you know, that happens. She thinks, shut up again, blah, blah, blah. And basically, she turns him inside out and then squishes him together. (laughs) Long story short. (laughs) Long story short. He ends up this bloody mess on the floor. Yeah. And you know what? Sounds like he had it coming. And then it's it's really the way he describes these things, right? Because normally... Yeah, I would like to think that I'm not turned on by people having their insides become their outsides and squished up together, but but I kind of was. But I mean, I mean, I guess it's tricky, right? Because like, were you sexually aroused or just aroused? Like, you can get sort of like physical uh, like symptoms of arousal from reading things or seeing things that isn't necessarily sexual. Like, was it distinctly sexual? I don't know. I didn't really delve too deeply into it because I delved and I was like, mm. this is scary. I don't <laughs> want to know. But And he describes it, you know, she's just she's just kind of like peeled his skin from his body and, and smushed him up together and, you know, like... I mean, there's something very visceral about it, which is quite... Right, like... you know? And then he says at the end, you know, as she came out of her ecstasy, that that kind of stuff, you know? Like, it's yeah. just these these real feelings that she's having. You know, she saw Ben sitting on the floor, shut up into a space about the size of one of his fine leather suitcases. White blood, bile, and lymphatic fluid pulsed weakly from his hushed body. (laughs) And then she says, So many fluids. (laughs) My God, she thought, this can't be my husband. He's never been as tidy as that. (laughs) Oh, sassy. That's fucking great. (laughs) Um, A bit of comic relief. And that's the other thing, right? Human it, uh, horror doesn't take itself so seriously, or yeah. like good horror doesn't. Yeah. You know, like you need that. You need yeah. that kind of break in the well, tension. Yeah, right? yeah. I, like I kind of actually like really respect that to be able to build the tension and it, and, and then, then just like have a have a thing in it. And then, so what I'm saying, she meets this other guy, this lawyer, and I'm making a strong case here that this is a love story. It's a romance. Okay. It's just that one of the people has telepathic powers that can turn people inside out. And she I mean, uses it, it to kill men. Well, look. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm a man hater. No. <laughs> I was just about to be like, I mean, if I had the power. <laughs> but like, you know. You know. Like, sometimes. Anyway, so she makes this lawyer. 
Let's, let's just quickly move on. She meets a lawyer. And and then you start getting this testimony from, from the lawyer's perspective of meeting her and just like being kind of enthralled by her, but constantly being like, she didn't, she didn't feed off me. You know, she wasn't a succubus. I made decisions. Then she shows him her power a little bit um, because he finds out that her husband died in this like real horrific way. And she told him it was cancer. And he's all like, ah, bitch, cancer, <laughs> cancer doesn't inside out. I'm not turning you inside out. I'm no doctor, but <laughs> pretty sure. <laughs> and then, so she demonstrates her power by plucking out like 12 of his hairs individually with her mind. That is a flex right yeah it's a, it's a proper flex it's like you know don't mess with me yeah and he says well at first he's, he's kind of talking about um that that he didn't think that she she really controlled the power right that like she was she was kind of prey to this power and he, there's this great line that says you know that's a man speaking of a woman, not just me, Oliver Vassy of her, Jacqueline S. We cannot believe, we men, that power will ever reside happily in the body of a woman unless that power is a male child. No true power. The power must be in male hands, God-given. That's what our fathers tell us, idiots that they are. I mean, he, like, Clive Barker's doing some interesting, like, commentary around gender here which is which is cool yeah he and he really like and he says to you know instead of fearing her i became more devoted to this woman who tolerated my possession of her body tolerated (laughs) (laughs) she was a sea and i had to swim in her i'd lived my life on the shore and i was tired of it she was liquid a boundless sea in a single body a deluge in a small room and i will gladly drown in her that sounds very poetic so romantic i just so often I was like, who will drown me? I'm glad that this telepathic <laughs> serial killer has found someone who can love her for her. You know? <laughs> anyway, blah, blah, blah. So they're together and he falls in love with her. And then she's like, hey, this has been really cool. But I have to find a man who can teach me how to use my power. So she finds this total douchebag, has a wife. They have an affair. That uh, bit's is there much, like, sex? sex happening in this? No. Okay. It's all kind of alluded to. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of sexual words, mm-hmm. but not in the context of sex. Yeah, okay. In the context of her using her power. So it felt quite masturbatory. Yeah. I kind of you know? like that, though. Like, the idea of playing with the power dynamic and playing with, like, the sort of sexual energy around that. Like, it doesn't need to be explicit for it to be... This like sexy, yeah, exactly right. And sometimes it's like you read a book and you're like, okay, well, you're too. I guess maybe this comes back to my whole thing of like the words that people use. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. You have a penis, <laughs> you have a flesh brush, <laughs> yeah, you've got that maypole there. <laughs> but uh, my cabin of desires. <laughs> it Just, sounds like you like it when it's a little bit more subtle than that. Yeah, I guess. And so so the sexy, the, the thought, the bit that I found sexy, and we are getting so deep into my psyche right now. <laughs> but basically, this, this powerful man is like, I can't see you anymore. I'm being blackmailed by this other person because they've found out that you are a serial killer and it's kind of bad for my image. Jeez, okay. And um, he's kind of questioning her about all of these murders. <laughs> and she's like, well, I can show you. And he's like, no, 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 no. I want to know. I'm cool. <laughs> and she had previously described that he was a bit of a dud in the sack. Oh. 
So she's like, I have skills. And he's like, I don't want to know. And she's like, you will know. And so she looked at him, taking hold of his hands without touching him. He watched all astonished eyes as his unwilling hands were raised to touch her face, to stroke her hair with the fondest of gestures. She made him run his trembling fingers across her breasts, taking them with more ardour than he could summon on his own initiative. You are always too tentative, she said, making him pour her almost to the point of bruising. This is how I like it. Now his hands were lower, fetching out a different look from her face. Tides were moving over it. She was alive. Deeper, his finger intruded, his thumb stroked. So she's like getting herself off (laughs) with his hands. Yeah. And I'm like, is that masturbation? Because, uh, like, she's controlling it. It's almost like non-consensual, here, let me show you what I like. Kind yeah, of to be fair, I did not think about the consent issue. But, not cool. But I guess, I like, guess. well, you, but I mean, like, in this kind of context, though, you get swept, like, it's all about power plays in this story, by the sounds of it. Yeah. And a lot of erotic horror does play in the 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 boundaries between consent and non-consent. So, and like the sort of, um, the fear and anxiety that gets brought up in that. So I'm I'm not really surprised that that wasn't at the forefront of your mind while like, and I'm not a total pervert. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so basically that happens. And then she's like, don't follow me. I'm leaving. And he's like, okay. But then. This is after she's like, she's got herself off. And then she's like, bye. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And then, and then he's like, okay, yeah. After using his body as a prop. <laughs> you terrify me. And, um, Rightly so. And then she goes to the guy who's blackmailing him and uh, peels his skin off his face. I mean, it's an effective way of dealing with it. <laughs> Be, don't like being blackmailed. Merely peel the skin from his body. There's literally like, you know, the hand, the, the, the skin off his hands, like slip off like surgeon's glove kind oh. of shit. I mean, and, you know what would be... It's nice that she doesn't have to deal with it any, like, she doesn't have to touch any of that. She just gets to think it. Yeah, exactly. And then he, and then he goes, you know, I mean, she goes to him and she's like, hey, are you blackmailing this guy? Like, that's not cool. And he just kind of unleashes a whole lot of, you know, like, you're a whore, whores know nothing. Yeah, classic. They're diseased animals. You're cunning. But that's, so is any slut with a living to make, you know. So then he, she like basically splits his head open. Um, that seems like a very justified reaction. <laughs> and then also, like, she's doing it. You know, she's, like, she's literally pulling the skin from his body. And he still keeps on going with the insults. It's and like, I'm like, mate, give no, it up. Yeah, no, You're not stop. helping yourself. Read the room. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Read the psychopathic room. Okay? And this is when he throws out that uh, syphilitic cunt uh, insult that I that is... really hate love. It's a bold insult. So so she, she kills him and then she runs away. Um and she's like, Okay, that was like proper murder. I um I planned that. And then this guy, this this powerful guy starts get getting her followed and um this other guy that's in love with her also kind of finds her and, and she starts thinking that like she's probably in love with, with that the first guy. Yeah, okay. Um and a lot of it is because, you know, like he loved her for her. And he called her by her full name, and everyone else calls her like some nickname that she hates. Yeah, right. Um, and so, so he respected her. Yeah, no, he just loved oh, what her. a wild thing to <laughs> crave respect. Um, and then she gets captured by the powerful guy's minions mm-hmm. and gets locked up in a house. 
And, but she's all cool with it because she's like, honestly, if I didn't want to be here, I could literally just like turn all of you inside out. Yeah. Um, and then the powerful guy comes here and she's like, well, I didn't turn them inside out because they're innocent and it's fine. And I'm, you know, I'm cool. And he comes and he's like, look, I've got all my affairs in order. I'm done with this shit. I want you to kill me. Oh. And she's like, bitch, this is a power play and I'm not playing it. Like, <laughs> I'm calling you up. <laughs> like, no, I have the power in this situation and I'm not doing jack shit. I hate you and you're weak and you're pathetic. Ooh, bold. And he's all like, no, like, I, I need you to kill me because I love you, but I'm disgusted by you and I can't live this way. And then she's like, nah. And so he starts hitting her and starts being like, kill me, kill me, kill me. And she's like, no. And then, <laughs> sorry, your face. <laughs> While I open the wine. <laughs> Continue. And, and then she's like, actually, you know what? He calls her a monster. And she goes, I am a monster, but you, you're nothing. You're an animal. And I will turn you into an animal. Oh. And basically, she turns him inside out, but also turns him into this weird crab human. Oh. Like, all of his all of his body ends up, like, broken. And then his bodyguards come in, and they're like, oh, my God, what's happening? We heard screams. And then she's like, come on, come out and say hi. And he's all like, He comes out, and then his bodyguards shoot him, because they're like, oh, my God, that is truly atrocious. There is something to be said for the insult. You are nothing. Like, that is that is powerful. Well, okay, you are nothing was a paraphrase. She says, you don't exist. That's uh, same, mean, same, 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 right? Yeah. She says, you're an animal, you don't exist. And, and then when she starts, like, reorganizing him, he says, you know, no, he wanted to say, this isn't the subtle ritual I had planned. So basically she, you know, refuses to kill him in the way that, that he wanted. I think it's quite interesting, this idea that he's, like, it's kind of, calling out this trope of women being the monster. Like, usually in horror, women are either, like, the the screamer, my air mm. quotes, so they only really exist to die, to die, or they're the monster, the bad guy. Um, and female monsters in film and in writing are often rese- um, representative of, like, society's fear of the female body and female empowerment, which have kind of been touched on in, in this story, which is interesting. Mm. But it's I, what I like about it is kind of, like, flipped it on its head a little bit. One of the um, sort of classic examples that I pulled up about this idea of a woman as, as, as the monster in the story was based on, like, horror folklore, um, which is around the vagina dentata. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, I came across that. Yeah. Like the, the vagina that eats you. It's got, yeah, it's got teeth. The, the, yeah. yeah. Did you see that? I mean, you don't watch horror movies, but Teeth, the movie, which is literally about That's, a vagina Yeah, it's teeth. based on that folklore. Yeah, I haven't seen it because fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was kind of fun. Yeah. There's also like Tokyo Gore Police where there's this whole scene of like an underground sex dungeon and like first it's like this this well I say woman but it could honestly be anything I just say woman because it doesn't really have a penis but it's like a sheet of skin stretched over a chair that's peeing on people and then (laughs) yeah and then okay and then there's this other one where like this guy is like running away because this woman has basically like bitten off his dick because her bottom half is an alligator okay (laughs) I mean I guess what I like about that idea is it kind of takes the idea of a female monster to the extreme Mm. and all of the fears around empowered female sexuality and whatnot 
and just like taste the next like level. You're like, oh, we're gonna put bloody fucking teeth on it then. Yeah, right. Like I, I yeah, I agree. I think it's this, this <laughs> fun power play yeah. thing that you've got, and you're like, okay, you're scared of vaginas. Like, show you how scary they can be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're scared of just a normal vagina. Why don't we put an alligator in there? I mean, to be fair, that is terrifying. Oh yeah, no, I would not be. I would. Not I would be, not be involved. Not be putting your dick in that. No, no, neither flesh nor strap on. <laughs> Shit's expensive. I don't yeah. want it more. It's not a dog toy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Anyway, we're going to fast yes. forward. Blah, blah, blah. So then we go back to old mate who's in love with her and um, he finds her again in Amsterdam and she is a sex worker. Um, but she is tied up. And basically she's tied herself up because she's just kind of like, she can't deal with it anymore. And sometimes when she goes to sleep, she like hurts herself because in her dream, she thinks of things and her body changes while she's sleeping. So her sex work is men coming to her and and she kills them. That's, (laughs) is there demand for that? Yeah. Apparently there's a fair bit of demand. Yeah. Okay. And so he finds her and he goes and he's like, Hey, like, this is her. I've been, this is the love of my life. I've been looking for her everywhere. And then her pimp is like, well, you got to pay me. And he's, says you know how much and the pimp is like literally everything you own and this guy's like well i'm gonna die anyway i've kind of accepted that that i'm going to go see her and and die and i'm happy with that and i want that to happen so you know take all my stuff jeez okay and then he gets there and then she's all like uh excuse me pimp i told you that if this particular man comes he doesn't have to pay you've made him pay i hate you so he just she just like pulls his heart out of his chest he dies and then this guy unties her and is like, hello, Jacqueline, her full name. Does it say what her nickname was? Yeah, so her husband called her like Juju and something else, some other Jack and Jackie. Oh, um, to, I wouldn't like that either. And uh, the powerful man just called her Jay. Right, okay. Anyway, so then he he unties her and he just basically lays down beside her and they make out and they're, they're kissing and she thinks we're together and thinking they were together, her will was made flesh. Under his lips, her features dissolved, becoming the Red Sea he'd dreamed of and washing up over his face. Her breasts prickle, pricked him like arrows. His erection, sharpened by her thought, killed her in return with his only thrust. Tangled in a wash of love, they thought themselves extinguished and were. Right. That's how it ends. I mean, that's not your classic happy ending. (laughs) And I think that's an interesting, like, horror where it meets, like, erotica and romance doesn't always play up to this idea of the happy ever after. Yeah. And I read that, I read that a lot of the stuff, a lot of the criticisms is that, like, 
if you end up with a happy ever after, you're not really challenging these ideas. Yeah. You're kind of falling back on the patriarchal yeah. idea of it, you know? Mm. And they do end up together, and I guess there is kind of like some closure in that sense, but, but it in a is... very macabre yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, and it is a bit like he One is dying thrust. <laughs> not how you want to go also i would never think that i would think someone's penis into like a literal sword yeah even if i was like oh i love that we're together my next thought wouldn't be like and you know what would be great a penis sword real pointy (laughs) like and if my breasts were also swords if we were just a bunch of swords yeah (laughs) killing each other i guess a little quite literal like together molding of like you, and we're doing it we're recording you can't see me <laughs> yeah. doing the the, the, the togetherness yeah <laughs> like the church and steeple thing yeah exactly <laughs> except with sex <laughs> i was so involved in this story i just like like i i honestly do not think that i am a man hater yeah right but the kind of perverse joy yeah i got out of out of this and well it turns a classic power dynamic on its head i think that's yeah and but just like the way he describes it is quite sexual like it's it's quite it was very as you were saying like very visceral there's a lot of body fluids there's a lot of things that you would associate with sex yeah but instead of sex it is people getting turned into human suitcases yeah (laughs) hot (laughs) so i had another quote from clive barker that says you know People have mentioned sex as being a major part of my fiction. An awful lot of horror fiction simply never contains that kind of material, which seems to me extraordinary, because most horror fiction is about the body in some way or other, Mm. and therefore it should be about sensuality and eroticism every bit as much as it's about corruption. Yeah. And that, that like, sums up this story for me. Like, it, it was kind of like, at a lot of times I was like, Oh yeah, I don't really need to hear about your lymphatic fluids. <laughs> yeah. Well, so one of the things that I was trying to find when I was preparing for today was to find whether there was a connection, or if there was any sort of evidence and research around the connection between fear and like sexual arousal or sexual response. And I was disappointed; I couldn't find a whole lot. But I did find a fair few studies around um, feelings of disgust with. Um, sexual arousal which is kind of exactly what you're talking about yeah. in, in the sense of being like I'm repulsed by this but I'm also like there's something else going on Yeah. Um, and basically I found two different studies on it, one in 2009 and one in 2012 and they both found that those that were part of the sexual arousal group in their studies they showed less avoidance behavior to disgusting stimuli. So once they they put them in this sexual arousal category and then they expose them to different stimuli that what was... What got you into the sexual arousal category? So they would basically, they'd prep you. Like you would be shown erotic right. images or... Um, and then once you were like aroused in yeah. that way. Okay, yeah. Then they would show you like disgusting um I mean stimuli. sex is fundamentally quite gross yeah and that's what they were kind of interested in finding out what that relationship was like and basically if you're in an aroused state you're more tolerant of like you're you're more accepting of things that are otherwise considered to be disgusting right which was interesting 
I wonder if the inverse is yeah. true, right? Like, if you're disgusted by something, are you easily, more easily aroused because you're kind of in this yeah. state already, I guess? I, like, I mean, I read some pretty, like, non-academic um, sort of throwaway ideas on the internet about, well, if you're already in that sort of heightened um, physiological and psychological state, that you that kind of matches up with a similar kind of sexual arousal so if you're already worked up they kind of relate to each other but I couldn't find any robust (laughs) studies to back that up (laughs) yeah and I think that's the thing right that there are very few horror novels that I've read that have genuinely scared me yeah most of the time it is you're on edge you're not scared like it's not really fear it's it's discomfort yeah and I think a lot of that is similar to when I read erotic stuff because yeah. particularly if it's something that's not within my comfort zone like yeah, something like bdsm or something mm, yeah, not so much that something like- <laughs> <laughs> we are really getting a review <laughs> something like I, I don't know can't think of anything right now but <laughs> there are things yeah blood play yeah. something like blood play i would be like that that's that's but it plays with your boundaries right which is exactly kind of inherently titillating and i hate the word titillating <laughs> Um, I was reading this, this thing is like women's horror as a, as erotic transgression. Oh, I read that one too. Uh, yeah. I, and I quite liked that. There were, there were quite a few things that, um, she said that I enjoyed. Um, but one of them is, um, you know, that this, this genre focuses on disruptive desires mm-hmm. and a lot of people wrote about these stories, particularly for women writers being a safe place to explore, you know, transgressive ideas. Yeah, because you're not in actual physical immediate, like, harm or threat. So you're yeah. able to freely explore things. And yeah. you're kind of expecting to be put on edge. So, and and I think it's really valid. I mean, what is more on edge than people's sexuality? Mm. Like, what is more of a grey area than what people like and don't like? Like, we're so caught up in this idea of, being normal mm. and like everybody just has sex in the missionary position all the time <laughs> you know that it's like oh actually that's not true mm. people have all ranges of things but if you're not comfortable with it if you're not exposed to it then that puts you on edge and to me the idea of horror is like kind of a perfect genre to merge with this because you can explore both you can yeah. explore people being on edge for like societal reasons yeah. but then also for these sexual and sensual reasons. Yeah. I think, as you were saying before, like, you could do similar things with sci-fi, and I think I'd probably be more on board with that because I'm more comfortable. <laughs> well, and that kind of, I guess, it goes immediately against what we were just saying, getting out of your comfort zone. Um, but for me, like, that shit lingers. A good horror novel should linger. Like, after I read literally the only Stephen King novel that was scary or tolerable, um... <laughs> Sorry, we can cut that out because a lot of people like Stephen King. Um, which is The Shining. Yeah. Topiaries. What's uh, hedges cut into like shapes oh. of things? Nah. I didn't know that had a specific name. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure it's topiary. Learning. <laughs> nah. Not on board with them. Oh. Not on board. There I is- mean, I like fixate on things from all like for example that one doctor who episode where all of the statues of the angels come to life excuse me weeping angels are 
terrifying. They are. And everybody is scared okay, good. Of, that, of Weeping Angels. That really it is me. a legitimate thing. <laughs> it's terrifying. Nobody, no, they are terrifying. They're, they are so terrifying. There's a reason they came back in like multiple episodes. Oh. It's because they're like, oh, we've hit a good thing here. I can't deal with it. fucking terrifies <laughs> this. Um, but yeah, there's a scene in The Shining where this boy enters a maze and there's like these topiary lions and they start following him. Nah. And I read it and I was like, I, I, oh, nah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do topiary anymore. I'm too... Because you were so committed to yeah, I was on really, your lawn. All I really wanted was some, like, camels made out of hedges in the house. <laughs> and now I can't. Stephen King has ruined that dream for me for forever. That's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I came across was there was quite a lot of discussion around... Um, American Psycho. Have you read American Psycho? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not one that I would have immediately jumped to in terms of horror, horror and also erotica. But mm-hmm. then when I started to read about it more and I started to reflect on when I read it, I was like, oh, well, yeah, it kind yeah. of fits the bill. Yeah. And it also has that build-up. Yeah. You know, it has that real kind of both in like terms... Hundred, at least a hundred pages of nothing yeah. before you get anywhere. And in terms of, like sexual end horror yeah. build up like it's just kind of like a lot of just discomfort 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 yeah. and I guess maybe that's part of it like the violence in a good horror like with Clive Barker and, and because he uses so much gore the gore is like a release mm, yeah and that I guess is probably where a lot of this similarity of like erotica horror stuff comes from is is wanting this release this yeah. feeling of like yeah. oh okay like that felt good. Yeah. And maybe it shouldn't have. <laughs> well, I think that what comes with that build-up of tension is this playing in that sort of that border area, that crossover where you're like, oh, it's uncomfortable because it's neither here nor there. It's neither good nor bad for, for a lot of it. And so that gets really uncomfortable. Again, like Clive Barker says, because he's my <laughs> Yeah. Um, so talks about the monsters and how they're acting out. Like our rage and, and our feelings, but says you know they work on they act on their worst impulses, which is appealing to a certain part of us. They get punished for it, but we've enjoyed the spectacle of their liberation. Yeah, and that's it, right? It's like they there's no all of the things that tell us not to do things. And again, I think this is like I don't want to say that having sex is like murdering someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I sure. definitely want to go on record saying that I'm not saying that. Yeah. But in the same way that we have these social constructs around what we do with fellow people just in our in our public lives, yeah. we still we bring those social constructs constructs into what we do with people in our in our private lives. Totally. And so like the liberation of murdering someone. Yeah. <laughs> fictional. Fictionally. <laughs> Suddenly, very aware that we're alone. <laughs> <Record. laughs> um, and then the sexual liberation of doing that thing that you're turned on by, mm. but maybe society tells you is not okay or normal. Um, air quotations there. Yeah, is quite similar, I think. Yeah, definitely. Did you find that you felt like you were uh, kind of in the position of the? Would we call her the protagonist? Jacqueline in this in this story or were you like a an, an observer that was disconnected 
I think I was an observer. I never felt like I... Like, the things that she did, I was like, that's batshit crazy. Yeah. I don't feel like yeah. we are a similar character. Yeah. Um. Also because I felt like before she started killing people, she was just a bit like, eh. <laughs> um. <laughs> she got her personality through the whole... <laughs> through the whole murder Serial thing. killer thing. Um. Yeah, right. Because one of the things that I read about... um. American Psycho is that because the language is so bland the entire way through, it leaves this gap where the reader can kind of like inject themselves into the story. Not once did I feel like I was <laughs> like the guy in American yeah, Psycho. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but there's this theory that the disgust that we feel when reading something like that is because you're confronted with the possibility of it being something that humans you can do, do yeah. and you as a human could do. Yeah, I, I guess, and yet, I never felt like him, but I could see people in him. Yeah, you which know, is like, I, I could definitely be like, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then sort of following on from that, there's this theory from Julia Kristeva, who wrote Powers of Horror, an, mm-hmm. essay on, an essay on objection in the 80s. And this, this whole idea of the abject referring to our human reaction when we, when we observe this breakdown of meaning that we've constructed around the boundaries, mm-hmm. for example, between like what's living and what's dead. And when we start to play around on the, in that, that liminal space, the space between two Ooh, worlds. You're so smart. I know. Um, <laughs> Sorry, what was that word again? Liminal space. Liminal. We start to become like quite confronted. We usually experience feelings of disgust and whatnot. And it basically forces us to pick a side. Um, and so usually what will happen is you'll read or you'll watch some kind of like disgusting horror thing and you'll feel a real strong sense of like rejection of it. And then that reconfirms your sense of identity is basically her theory. Right. So in, in that, like, by, by... By being disgusted by something, what, you're kind of reaffirming that you're a good person? Yeah, and that... it's like, well, I'm not that. I'm not a corpse. I'm not a serial killer. <laughs> I am not a corpse. <laughs> um, it, yeah, because I'm not that, I must be the other yeah, side of right. it. Yeah, right. Which I just thought was interesting, and it, like... One... It is interesting, but I think it kind of feeds into this idea of like you are either a serial killer or a good person, you know, or yeah. you are. But either... I think we like those sorts of categories. Oh, though. we definitely humans love that shit. Yeah, we're all up in that. And so I guess what one of the sort of things coming out of that was this idea that by watching these things and consuming these things, we get a sense of gratification by reassuring ourselves that we are not that thing. Yeah, right. And I think that's the other thing, right? This this idea of gratification reading these things. We often talk about just general gratification and we talk about like sexual gratification and mm. we we I think that's it's just not as separate as we like to think, you know. Yeah. And and one of the things that this really showed to me about erotica is that maybe er- erotica doesn't need to have sex in it all the time. You yeah. know? Maybe what is erotic like the same idea that someone can find um, plants erotic. Did you just look at my plants? I did, just look at your stop, plants. Stop checking they, out my plants, <laughs> creep. <laughs> They're just so lush. <laughs> They're so verdant. <laughs> um, but in the same way that, that people can find, you know, someone's walk erotic or someone's scent erotic. 
Yeah. You don't need to have, like, penises thrusting or, like, fingers entering or any (laughs) of that. You don't need to really have the explicit sexual act pointed out to you to be turned on. Yeah. And a lot of the times, I mean, I don't know, but a lot of the times for me, it's like the build up yeah. is part of the best part. It's like, it's, it's when you know something's going to happen. Yeah. You don't know what. That suspense. Yeah. The suspense of it. The, the, when you're reading into things, yeah. when you're like looking at those in between moments to yeah. be like, oh yeah, that's sexy. You know, that, that, that bit of eye contact that you had or, you know, the, the brush of the hand or, you know, when those, those moments are so electrically charged. And maybe our focus on sex in erotica is actually not where the sexiness lies. The sexiness lies in, in the build-up and in the tension and in all of that in-between moments. Yeah. And then once you get to the intercourse part, you're like, okay. Like, I mean, I think it could be both, but I think that you're, I think you're right in the sense that like, I, I think we're too quick to assume that this, the erotica comes from the actual sex itself. And I think mm. that that's probably a little bit too simplistic mm. and we're potentially missing out on so much more that could be there in other genres as well that comes from that sort of, that sort of suspense building. Yeah. And I guess it comes back to this and I think we're going to come back to it a lot. Like what is erotica? Yeah. What, what is it? Like I still... You know, I, I, the only way that I can tell if something is erotica or not is how ashamed I am to read it on the train, (laughs) you know, like, which is, that's, I mean, that's a terrible way of judging it. But I mean, even with this book, which, which on its face is not, you would not look at it and be like, oh yeah, that's erotic. But because it literally has 22 tales of sex and horror, I found myself like cracking the spine and reading it with it entirely open. Yeah. Um, so that no one could see Isn't the Isn't funny as well? It's like, I don't fucking know these people on the tram. I don't give a hell what they think of me. But yet, I I would do the same thing. And, you know, you think... And it's because, like, you think people are going to look at it and be like, okay, you total freak. Yeah. Why? Particularly... Especially like, horror. Yeah, especially <laughs> with horror and sex. Yeah. It's like, okay, why the fuck And if it's not that, they're going to be like, oh, you sad... Sad lady. I hate yeah. that stigma. I hate it. So here we are, breaking it down <laughs> out of 10 for the Clive Barker story. Arousal rating or? I think just just in general, out of 10. I was somewhat aroused. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, violent tendencies is fine. <laughs> um, uh, we can break it up if you want two separate ratings or if you just want the one. It's up to you. I mean, well, it is, it's, it's different, right? Like Clive Barker to me is an amazing writer. Yeah. He elicits great responses from me and he makes me question a lot of things like, you know, shameless plug and we're not getting paid for this, but, (laughs) (laughs) but if you'd like to, (laughs) but Aberat as a fantasy novel, I started reading it when I was quite young and, and he takes a while to bring them out. And if you are interested by the illustrated versions, not the Ill- <laughs> unillustrated versions, cause it's just, it's not the same. Um, by the last one that he wrote, it is, it addresses sex. It addresses hatred. It addresses these like emotions that you are not really used to seeing in something that's marketed towards young adults. Yeah. He is amazing. I I love him. And 
the way this was written, like it's it's a solid like eight. Yeah, great. Solid eight. And on arousal then? A six. <laughs> yep. Saucy mix. Getting off on all that power. <laughs> and flesh. And flesh. Flesh power. <laughs> um It was it was really interesting. It's not an area that I yeah. would ever really delve into well, or either. even consider. Given that I am a fucking scaredy cat, <laughs> it's not an area that I would have explored otherwise. So this has been a really interesting topic. Yeah. All right. Well, it'll be my turn next week. Um, Do you have a book? Not yet, but I will. <laughs> See you then. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 